Welcome to Radio Life episode 62, recorded just before DEF CON 2019, so that you'll have something to do on your way traveling to Mainz, Germany. And if you're there and you see me or David walking around, please stop us and say hello. I am almost out of practice, but... Here we are. I'm meeting a luminary in the life ray scene. He is best described today through one number, which is 14,575. I've just checked before we went to recording. This is the number of forum posts that Dave Nebinger has written in the past however many years. And he's sitting right next to me and we will talk about that and several topics that he probably already has blogged about or spoken about in the forums. Welcome, David. Thank you. So how many years have it been? Uh, so I joined the community in 2006. So that's 13 plus years. That's impressive. And I came in at 2008. So I probably uh, back then have already read some of your posts. Well, initially, my posts were all questions. They're like everyone else who joins the community. How do I use this prod product? How do I make it do the things I need it to do? And I got answers from the forum. And then when things turned around, I started giving answers in the forum. And it's been that way ever since. It sounds very familiar because I think that's my story as well. I've started answering Tomcat questions and... Asked life ray questions back then. Now I'm curious what your first ever message board post was, but uh, what are you doing now? Who are you and what are you doing here? Uh, so when I joined in 2006, I was actually working for a company that had a monolithic legacy power builder application. And they wanted to take that to an intranet approach. The application itself had everything and the kitchen sink in it. So every department in the organization had some piece, some window, or some portion of the application that was for their job. And when I looked at that, I thought, there's no way that I want to turn this into a single struts application or a single web application of some kind. I want to break this up so that the folks who do the work can pick and choose the pieces that they need to display. And after doing some research, LifeRay was a clear winner. It was the perfect platform so I could break up the application into small pieces, develop each one of those ind independently, test, release, and then the users could put the portlets on the page that they need based on their job, whichever order made sense for them. However, the way they worked, LifeRay made it possible for them to customize their interface. So it was a huge success. And from there, I that was on LifeRay 4. So I went through my first LifeRay upgrade from 423 to 5. And... I left that company but took my life ray knowledge and went out and helped people, other organizations do upgrades to six. Um, I tinkered for a while with Vaden, which I still love. Um, I just wish I could get it to work better under a life ray platform. And for the last, um, 
I think four years now, I have been working for LifeRay as a consultant and helping others, other organizations to bring their LifeRay visions to reality. So apparently that work still gives you the opportunity to contribute to numerous uh, questions and uh, tips and tricks. Yes. So it's, I try to build into my day, taking some time to answer forum posts, do some research. Um, oftentimes I'm up late in the evening working on a blog or a forum post or something, but I try to take time out of every day to just try to answer at least one question or, or continue a thread and hopefully learn something new from the, from the platform. We have a common pet peeve there and we've said, Hey, let's talk about that. That's fun to have some reference to point to. And those are the repeating questions. And I said, Hey, let's record a couple of FAQs and uh, then we'll have a place for them. Which is, I'm just thinking of those questions that always come up. Uh, just recently in the past few days before recording, we've had a discussion on EXT on the ext plugins where you were very vocal and I was very vocal on why should we have them but and I think we have different reasons for not having them uh, they're only slightly different uh, different so they do overlap but uh, there is a reason not to use ext and I'll be devil's advocate and you'll be uh, convincing myself that I shouldn't use X, right? Because X is a nice thing. It's in there, so it must be fully supported and everything must be handy-dandy. Isn't it? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so originally, um, under LifeRate up to five, they had this thing called the extension environment. And it was a way where you had a, a shim layer between the low level, level life rate base and what was actually deployed. So it was a really cool way to develop for life rate, but from a product and upgrade perspective, it was very challenging for life rate to support and, and recommend. So with LifeRay 6, they came out with this EXT plugin. So the idea was you would use regular modules for your customizations as much as possible. But in those cases where there was not an extension point, the EXT plugin would be your source to make those kind of things happen. The problem was that had the same issue as the extension environment. It was difficult for LifeRay to support When users had an EXT plugin in place that was changing what they thought was not a significant uh, piece of library functionality, but actually would really disrupt how the portal worked. So even from the earliest 6.0, they wanted to start deprecating the EXT plugin. And by the time we got to 7.0, it was actually gone. But by popular demand, it had to be brought back because at the end of the day, maybe LifeRay didn't have all of the extension points ready and exposed that people were looking for. So the EXT came back in order to make that happen. But that's now three years ago. At this point in time, LifeRay has all the extension points in place. They are exposed for 
override via OSGI. So anyone thinking, I need the EXT to change something is probably on a wrong path. And, and we say that strictly from an upgrade perspective because EXTs are hard to upgrade. They're very much tied to the version of LifeRay that you're uh, targeting. So anytime you want to talk about uh, a, a dot upgrade or even a significant upgrade, you're looking at reworking the entire EXT plugin. So stepping away from the EXT and implementing it using the recommended and LifeRay approved extension points is the way that you want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I can't go through the uh, devil's advocate role here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got to summarize something in my own words uh, in there as well. Basically, exactly what you said, but in a slightly in slightly different words. Where I always say with Ext, you are working on the implementation. On the implementation level, you're not shielded by some API that's guaranteed to be stable, but you are working on the implementation. Incidentally, LifeRay is working on the implementation as well, and nobody pays attention who else is doing anything on the implementation. So nobody will care. Nobody will provide an upgrade path if you are changing anything in there. And that's, uh, to me, one of the main reasons why it's hard to uh, maintain Plus, EXT, to my knowledge, goes only into core. So anything that's in LifeRay core can be hit by EXT. And core is shrinking and shrinking. So it gets smaller and smaller and more and more stuff is going into modules, which means you got to go with modules anyway. And you can't just rely on any EXT to, to be active for anything that's been extracted into modules. And I think we're with 7.2, we're now close to... A thousand modules. I think it went way ahead. For a while, I didn't count, but I think I've seen four-digit numbers there. Possibly. I, I don't know. I, I I don't track the number of modules. I know there's a slew of them in there. Yeah, yeah I've deployed a test module recently, and I wanted to stop it, and there was a four-digit digit number, thousand and something. So there's at least bundle IDs, and that's typically a good pointer for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so EXTs are out. Uh, let's think of another FAQ, and I can think of a very good one, which touches LifeRay's core as well. The database. <laughs> uh, the, I'm thinking of a question. Discuss. So <laughs> as developers, we want to look in the database. I mean, I was guilty of that from day one also. I wanted to see, okay, I'm putting something in the interface How is that getting stored in the database? And the problem that you run into from a developer perspective is unless you know everything about what the core is doing, you might think the database is the only place a piece of data lives. The problem is LifeRay leverages uh, search extensively. So when you're saving something to the database, it might also be getting replicated to the index. So now your database is not your only source of information. It can be going other places. Additionally, the LifeRay database does not have any foreign key defined, foreign keys defined. So in a normal 
database implementation, you're going to have foreign keys and referential integrity. So if you add a record or change a record or delete a record, the database itself through the reference referential integrity will make sure that you're not deleting something that another record relies on. The LifeRate database doesn't have any of those keys. So if you start making changes to data in the database, you can actually break the functionality of LifeRay without even knowing that you're doing it. So whenever someone says, hey, where is the um, database diagram? Or how do I insert uh, data or make changes in the database? I am very firm in saying, don't do that. It's not because I want to like actually keep people from doing that. It's because I know what can happen if you don't make changes correctly. It can be catastrophic results where you break your life rate to the point where it can't start up. And if you can do that just through a simple delete of one record from the database, to me, that's a clear sign you shouldn't be messing around in there. But I need to change something. I, I want to add a field to the user table. <laughs> Again, that, that goes back to how do you support upgrading LifeRay to another platform it, or another version? If you add a column onto one of the LifeRay tables or change LifeRay logic and how it manages that table, it can seem like it's a way to get something done but you're painting yourself into a corner. You're getting into a situation where you're not going to be able to do the upgrade so easily because LifeRay is not going to know anything about that new column and how to manage it. LifeRay has facilities in place to support using Expandos to add values to a LifeRay table, as well as the service builder tool for creating your own table when you have more than, say, six elements that you don't want to put into an Expando. So... There's facilities there where you can have the kind of data storage you need without manipulating the LifeRay database. Let me translate that for people not really familiar with the platform. Expando refers to the API name for what's called custom fields on the user interface. So there is a way to get your extra fields into a table, just not by executing an alter table statement to the database, but by using a specific API, which is a custom fields API, or in technical terms, the expandos. And speaking of upgrades, I have heard of upgrades that went wrong, and that was about six months to a year after somebody changed something in the database. So it was long forgotten. And of course, it was LifeRay that broke and not somebody who used it in a, in the wrong way and wrote the wrong data that LifeRay never intended to be there. And uh, the bad thing is when that happens in production at a random time, whenever There is a conflict and LifeRay just has to give up because the database obviously is in a bad state. If that happens in production, I can only predict it's probably happening on a Saturday night, uh, Saturday to Sunday at 3 a.m. or something like that when nobody pays attention. And of course, nobody's there and uh, ready to fix it. And you can't just restart. And you also can't restore from half a year ago. Any other idea on, on those upgrades? Do you, do you know of any specific horror stories from customers or from people in the community? Any story there? 
Well, along with the uh, LifeRay is using the search, the index, as well as it is the database. So you can have a case where you change the database, but unless you specifically re-index, the index might have the previous value. Now, if you change the database in a way that broke it, that broken piece can be hidden because LifeRay is leveraging the index where things are fine. So you can make a change of the database and maybe it doesn't show up for a few weeks or a month or whenever a re-index event occurs and then things start breaking and you're like, why is my indexing not working or why is my data now broken? And it can all stem from making a change in the database directly. Weeks ago. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. And of course, this is not an exhaustive list, because if we could give you the exhaustive lists of what you need to pay attention to, then you would be tempted to change in your database, because you, now you know everything that you need to pay attention to. But nobody can give you all of the steps, everything that you need to be aware of. What's the alternative? The alternative is always to use the API. LifeRay uses the API to front every data change that is done to the database. The, the API knows about the foreign keys. The API knows to update the index when the record changes in the database. The API knows to signal the other nodes in your cluster that this value just changed. And therefore, if they have it cached, that it should purge from the cache and use the updated value instead. So the API is the only way that you should be making any changes to the database in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Thinking of the API, I'm just thinking of a neat trick that I don't know if you taught it to me or if it was somebody else who taught it to me. You've mentioned Service Builder, which you might or might not want to use, but coming back to my... Uh, to my question on how do I add another field to the user table? And you said, well, you can create another entity. Uh, let's talk about that. So you can create a user extension entity or you can create some, uh, well, the user creation entity would be, it's just an entity and you deal with it just like you deal with any other service builder entity. And the principle that I don't know if I learned it from you or from somebody else is a fake entity or does it have a different name? Um, what's that or what would that be? Uh, so the fake entity was something that we did in Life Race 6. So it's definitely before Life Race 7. But the fake entity was a way to leverage uh, Service Builder and all of the functionality that it brings to the table besides just being an ORM against the database. Uh, so through a fake entity, you could share data between portlets in the same way that you could share uh, database ent entities between portlets because you had the separate service layer and the implementation. Mm -hmm. So it was a really... Uh, effective way to leverage the power and functionality of Service Builder without actually having to persist an entity to the database. In the new OSGI world that we have under LifeRay 7, we don't really need the fake entity anymore because OSGI is already going to share 
API methods and objects uh, with each other that are part of the OSGI container. So we don't really have to fake it out as much as we had to for under LifeRay 6. Okay, yeah, that's a good thing. I didn't use them in a while, and I've been wondering why, but maybe that's that's it. So there's more opportunities here. Mm-hmm. Recently, or not so recently, I guess, uh, you wrote a blog post that was titled what LifeRay won't say. And then you said it. What was the story behind that? Or what is the story behind that? <laughs> so LifeRay as a product, they want to be open. They want to be able to say, we can come into your organization. We can fit and live within things you already have. So whatever your brand of application server We're fine with that. Whether you want to build portlets in JSP, JSF, JavaScript, uh, Spring MVC, LifeRay MVC, sure, whatever you want, we can do it. But that's messaging from a product perspective and, and wanting to make sure there's no barriers to entry. My post was more the flip side of that. The kind of questions I get is, okay, but what application server should I use? Or... Uh, how should I build my portlets? Where, where folks are genuinely wanting to know what we might say is a best practice, um, knowing that LifeRay supports all these other things, but do they have uh, a guidance on what would be a, a best approach? And in that blog post, I tried to address all those things. So the application server, for example, I said, you know, uh, I feel that Tomcat is more than enough for LifeRay. We don't really have any Java EE functionality in the portal, so any enterprise class application server is not really going to bring much to the table with respect to LifeRay. With the OSGI deployment that we have now, you are not really going to be using your centralized management console for deployments either. So, While LifeRay will run on those application servers, it doesn't gain any advantage whatsoever towards running on those. So Tomcat is really an acceptable container to run LifeRay on. You'll get all the functionality, all all the support and everything that you need without having to pay the cost of some of the enterprise class application servers. That being said, you can still pay the cost for Tomcat and there's supported versions of Tomcat. Right. But that becomes a business decision. You're making the decision because you have business requirements of, I need to have someone that I can call for support or, or X, Y, or Z. But that is not a requirement that LifeRay is going to enforce. I got to say, I have seen development being done on Tomcat and then deployment, integration testing, and so on, on different servers because Uh, it's just easy to develop on Tomcat. It's an immediate turnaround uh, compared to uh, the big iron servers uh, where there's significantly more time in redeployment and restarting. So that works as well. So you can go totally um, uh, mixed as well. Mm-hmm. On the database side, LifeRay CE doesn't support all of the databases that LifeRay EE or now. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> LifeRay CE doesn't report the same databases or as many databases as LifeRay DXP supports. Is there any that you particularly like or also default to? Um, I'm kind of a fan of Postgres. Uh, 
Um, I was a fan of MySQL, but now I think I'm more in the Maria camp. But uh, outside of that, again, it's uh, comparing the enterprise databases towards the open source. The open source ones provide enough functionality from LifeRay's perspective. Uh, LifeRay doesn't use views. It doesn't use um, really complex column types or, or JSON types, some of the pieces that I believe uh, developers hoped that they might leverage, like Postgres has uh, built-in support for a, a JavaScript column type, but LifeRay doesn't use it. Yes, it does. Um, the enterprise databases as well do not really provide any functionality that LifeRay necessarily takes advantage of. Oracle has um, uh, uh, counters that are built in, so you can write a query that does the insert from your your direct from the database. LifeRay is still going to use its own counters instead of uh, whatever support is built into the database. So LifeRay doesn't gain anything from being on those databases. There's some enterprise things that work out better. If, if you're doing replication uh, across regions, having Oracle and Golden Gate in place can help with your replication for that kind of thing. But you know going in that you're going to fall into that camp. If you're just starting out with LifeRay and you don't have any idea that you're going to be facing those kind of replication needs, I'm not sure that you gain anything from uh, the enterprise class databases. But again, that comes back to it. It turns into a business decision. You as a business will say, I want to go with Oracle because I want the support or I want the replication or I want X, Y, or Z, but you're doing it from a business decision, not from a standpoint of the product is going to force me down this particular path. Mm-hmm. And then my, um, and then my system gets slow. Where's the problem? I think this is this is unrespectful to the uh, questions that we get on the forums, but this is basically how I read many of those questions. It's like something doesn't work or doesn't perform as I expect. Where's the problem? Uh, let's go, let's go into the performance tuning side. Uh, how many servers do I need? Do I really need more because it doesn't perform well? Well, the the more generic question I get from clients is, why doesn't LifeRay tell me how to size my cluster? Why can't they say you need four nodes in order to serve the kind of traffic that that uh, I expect to have? And my response is always that uh, different sites use LifeRay in different ways. So one of our old customers was a... Uh, site targeting children and it would serve uh, um, content, ed- educational content to children. So videos and things like that. Uh, whereas we have other clients who are strictly business oriented, recruiting for armed forces in, in the United States kind of deal. So LifeRay is on those systems and anything you can think of in between that. Mm-hmm. Each one of those clients use LifeRay in a different way. So what one client is using um, is going to be sized differently based on how they are using LifeRay rather than just one 
you know, a statement saying one size fits all. And that's what we want to try to do because it doesn't do me any good to tell you you need a two-node cluster if you expect to have uh, 5,000 concurrent users every hour of every day. It it just, it, it's not going to work out very well. Whereas I can tell you, oh, you need a 10-node cluster, but you have... 50 concurrent users, maybe one hour of a day, and the rest of the time it's sitting idle. So LifeRay cannot say this is how you have to size things because LifeRay doesn't know how you're going to use it. So the same thing applies to, well, how many processors or how many nodes or what memory size should I need or X, Y, or Z. The the answer always comes back to it depends and that frustrates the heck out of you know the person asking the question, but it really points to the fact that it's the context of how you're going to use LifeRay and the requirements that you have uh, from a capacity and a response time uh, thing that is going to decide and be the determining factor on how you size things. I'm just thinking, when you ask a consultant, or if you ask a consultant any kind of question, the one answer that you always get back is, it depends. <laughs> and then I like to add, the good consultants, they will continue talking, and they will tell you what it depends on. And uh, we've had the what it depends on uh, earlier here. So this is what it depends on, and then the answer is, it depends. <laughs> Nevertheless, when there is a question, hey, it doesn't perform well, do you run across anything specifically that often is the culprit in performance problems, or is it spread far and wide, far in between? Well, the, the first thing that folks want to do is they want to say life ray is slow. And from a product perspective, life rate... Of, of course, it's not my fault. <laughs> exactly. <It's me. laughs> but from a product perspective, life rate does extensive testing against the portal and the out-of-the-box facilities that LifeRay provides. Uh, they have white papers that show their testing procedure, the metrics, the number of concurrent users, the sizing that they do on the servers, and everything is tested to make sure that performance is at expected levels. So when you walk into a client who's saying, you know, I'm really struggling with my performance and you trace it back to say a bad uh, ADT where they have free marker code, which is making service builder calls to retrieve new data to feed into the template to display a result and you tell them, well, you know, you're facing performance problems because of how you implemented and leveraged LifeRay, that can be a bitter pill to swallow. And I'll add to that, especially when this happens on every single uh, call on the main landing page that everybody executes or everybody views or visits anyway. Right. So the, the LifeRay gives you the power to do all kinds of really cool things, but at the same time, you have to know and leverage some restraint so that you don't go crazy trying to abuse the system to make it do things that just won't work well under, uh, under load. Yeah. That's the beauty and the beast. Uh, that is, you can do everything, but should you? 
or if you do everything then well be prepared <laughs> right we are recording this episode just before defcon and several people defcon 2019 that is for anybody Uh, listening to this episode later on but at defcon 2019 you will have a slot on stage which basically is close to what you are currently working on or what you like working on as far as i understand what will that be we'll have a short uh, advertisement section here for anyone who is listening to this on the way to defcon and for everybody else there will be a video of those presentations here so you can just binge watch and listen to more than just radio life ray um so the for the ad advertisement portion the session that i'm giving is uh dealing with programmatically loading your site using site initializers resources importer Uh, upgrade processes and groovy scripts. And without giving it all away, the uh, gist of the session is going to be how you can preload content settings, um, different types of data into your environment using these supported techniques. Um, but what I'm looking forward to at DevCon is headless. I've been doing a lot more uh, research and development on LifeRay's new headless CMS support. And to me, I'm really excited about that. The, the one issue that I think many of us look at when we're developing for LifeRay is we sometimes feel constrained, constrained by the theme development, constrained by... Uh, the pieces that have to be in place uh, for you to get the kind of look and feel that you want to have. Uh, the theme uh, working out issues with supporting third-party JavaScript libraries and different uh, CSS frameworks and other things. Um, they can be a challenge. So I'm excited about Headless and how I can build... Um, single-page applications in a framework like React or Angular leverage LifeRay for the CMS facilities and any other, other facilities that I want to expose, yet still build everything using a native JavaScript framework where I know I can find additional resources out in the world to bring on board to help me get a job done. So I'm super excited about Headless and the work that I've uh, done with it so far has been great, but I know we have other new stuff that is either out already and more coming out. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to the sessions on Headless at uh, DevCon to find out more. Okay, that'll be from the time that we're recording this. This will be less than two weeks. So I got to have something to edit here and push it out as soon as possible. My favorite part of DevCon, though, is your gig, the unconference. I love the unconference. I think that's the best part of the whole thing because it's, it's not what LifeRay wants to. Uh, present to the attendees. It's what the attendees want to know about LifeRay. So the, I've been going, I was there the last two years and totally loved it because I get ideas and things from the issues that, uh, other developers bring in and want to know more about. And then I can use that information to help develop new blogs or new content. Uh, in order to get out there that I'm hoping folks 
uh, can take advantage of. Yeah, well, maybe we still have some seats left or we can make some uh, some room. I'm actually not quite sure about the booking situation, but the, as the unconference typically sells out because it's a smaller location, uh, we might be very close. But I didn't ask for a while. Nobody reported the numbers to me. We might be sold out already or we might not be. I'm not sure. You can ask. And unconference is actually quite cheap. If you're coming to DEF CON anyway, just adding that extra day uh, shouldn't break the bank. But thanks for the praise on unconference. <laughs> And now for something completely different, or something that we already had, but you are also the most prolific blog writer on LifeRed.com, or now on LifeRed.dev, as the blogs move, the community blogs. How do you get to all of those topics that certainly can't come just from the unconference because you just mentioned that you'll take new food from there. How do you get to those topics? Because they typically hit something that I've been thinking about or that somebody has been asking me about. Uh, so I'm with, I work for LifeRay in uh, global services, which is basically LifeRay's consulting arm. So a lot of the things that I will end up blogging about are things that I find from the clients that I work with, um, different issues that they've faced and what was necessary to work around them. So my work actually provides a, a huge number of ideas that I then take forward and turn into blogs. So they actually come from real life, which yes. is good to hear. Yes. And it makes sense because I hear of those problems or questions as well, or the opportunities. And it's amazing how simple some solution for an awesome feature can be, and then still be easy to maintain and completely custom. What do you have in your queue? Is there anything that you can let us peek ahead <laughs> in the queue? Uh, so the, my excitement with headless, um, I have one blog series on how to build custom headless APIs. Uh, but the sister blog for that is, um, actually building out a react based spa that leverages the headless APIs, both the out of the box life API, as well as the custom API that I built in the previous series. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm struggling with that one a bit because unlike my other blogs, like when I'm covering the custom headless piece, I know I can put code in there and um, it's all relevant to LifeRay. But on this React spa, this is very much a reflection of choice. So for example, um, I have uh, Redux. I'm using Redux and Saga in the building of my React Spa, which if folks are out there listening and they know React, they have probably already, you know, started shaking their heads or uh, cheering me on for using uh, Redux and Saga because those are almost like VI versus Emacs. They have camps that are saying, oh, yes, use, use Saga, use Redux. And then there's other camps that say, well, no, React out of the box has enough support for the doing the kind of things that you don't need those ever other frameworks to do. So I have that challenge that I'm dealing with, but also 
I don't know that there's any value in my embedding React code inside of the blog post. So then it, it comes down to, well, do I just talk about the decision decisions I made and why, the, the things that came up when I was developing, or should I actually try to pepper in some of the code in there? I don't know. I'm struggling with that one to, to know just how much to put in it. Uh, the app itself is done. Um, it's kind of corny, but it, it's to show off the, the headless APIs and it works and it works really well. So I'm happy with the app itself. I'm just trying to get the, the right tone in the blog itself. Okay. So I'm running out of questions here and uh, they have been a couple of really often heard FAQs. That's the F in FAQ, the frequently asked questions. And maybe we can convince someone that this is actually worth it thinking about in a different way. Uh, on next on the database, on recommendations in there. Did I miss any particular FAQ? That would be embarrassing if I did, but I'm ready to be embarrassed if you can think of any other frequent, like really frequently asked question. Why should I use Service Builder? Go. <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, Service Builder gets a bad rap because developers who are familiar with Hibernate and uh, JPA look at Service Builder and say, oh, that's an old, dated, decrepit, <laughs> not even complete ORM. And that's totally true. But the part that they miss is the functionality that Service Builder um, brings to the table. Service Builder is adding services, adding functionality into and on top of the ORM layer itself. Mm -hmm. So you get the asset framework, you get the indexing, you get uh, search support, uh, the uh, model listeners for you know doing activities around changes, the service wrappers for controlling how stuff works, uh, workflow, trash can support, uh, did I mention asset framework? You know, so th there's a lot of stuff, remote services, uh, that gets layered in by service builder on top of your entity declaration that is, you know, just a tip of the iceberg with res re respect to form technology. So I'd love to push and support service builder because I know of all this functionality that it brings. But when you're just new to the platform, you're like, I already know Hibernate. I know JPA. Why do I want to build something in Service Builder when, you know, it, it really looks old and dated? Mm -hmm. And it's, this is the reason why. Yeah. Yeah. I also give people the freedom of choice, but also mention that if you understand Service Builder, it will be relatively easy to write. And if you know Service Builder, you know how LifeRays API behaves because all of that is built on Service Builder as well. Right. LifeRay eats its own dog food in that respect. So <laughs> yeah. um, it's tried and true and tested. Historical thought, as far as I know, is uh, Service Builder is the reason why LifeRay back between version 4 and 5 suddenly was able to get along without any enterprise Java bean. So that was the EJB time. And I think Brian Chan talked about that, why he chose... EJB back then in 2001 
with a start. So it was Service Builder that changed all of the generation, and overnight EJBs were history, and uh, we're happy with that ever since. Mm -hmm. So now we can run on Tomcat and don't need the EJB container. Right. But I haven't been around in version four. You have been, <laughs> so I I uh, I've actually started with five dot one, so just past EJB time in Liferay. Well, for now, let's call it a day and let everybody continue their trip to DevCon with the two of us in their ears. Mm -hmm. To the listeners, if you see us at DevCon or if you see us at any future event, say hi and we'll have a coffee together. Definitely at DevCon because that's the conference with the world's best coffee anyway. We'll have uh, the German Barista Champion 2010 to 12 again there preparing coffee for everyone. So if that's not a reason to be at the conference with the world's best coffee there, uh, then I don't know what will be. So Enjoy your trip to DEFCON, enjoy your preparations for DEFCON, and if you can, come to the unconference. If not, register early for next year's unconference. Any closing thought from you, David? Uh, no, just come and say hi, bring your questions. It's, I didn't gain all this knowledge and experience over LifeRay so I could hoard it and keep it to myself. <laughs> I, I look forward to sharing it with others and help them improve their, their own skill sets and and make their journeys easier so bring it <laughs> and i can only say that is an honest opinion because i remind you of five uh, posts as of today as of right now and i think a little bit later i'm going to dig out your very first forum question <laughs> We'll see each other at DEFCON again, and we'll see you uh, you all hopefully there. And otherwise, we'll see you at any other event on the forums or on Slack. <laughs>